G'day and welcome to another episode of Perth Property Insider. I'm your host, Jared Mann, and today you've got me for a solo episode. I've had a lot of guests lately and I'm looking forward to taking you inside some more of my thoughts and my take on a very important category, which is risk. Now, a lot of people look at these risks, especially risks with the market and risks with specific investments, and it can hold them back from either investing or growing their portfolio larger. And very often, they're looking at the wrong side of the coin. And I'll tell you all about that in a minute. What they should be looking at is how risky are themselves. So I'm asking that question. How risky are you? We're going to run through a lot of useful stuff today. And I can't wait for you to see the other side of the coin. Let's go inside. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management specialist servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here is your host, Jared Mann. I've been thinking about risk. So what is risky anyway? How you perceive risk will be entirely different to the next person. And that really comes out when I'm speaking to different clients. And that's why it's often hard when someone's asking me what they should do, what strategy they should implement, ultimately what sort of property they should buy once they break that down to the specific property level. It's hard for me to just answer that without knowing a lot more. And we all have our comfort zone and I like to kind of picture it as all the things around us and in our heads that we feel comfortable with. And it's kind of a build-up of our collective of life experiences. And the older we get, often the harder it is to change that comfort zone unless you really are adaptable and open to changes. So some of these experiences can be good where we've had wins. Some of these experiences can be bad where we've had losses. and that. Ultimately, the comfort zone can either hold us back, but it's also there to protect us from risks that are on the outside of this comfort zone. So early on in my investing, when I didn't know any better, I did a lot of crazy things. And I was lucky that I didn't have them backfire on me. (laughs) And some of them were costly. Definitely cost me money and those mistakes uh, I learned a lot from. So When we start to think about risk, first you need to be aware and perceive of the potential risks and then understand how to mitigate and protect yourself from them. So when when you are starting out, you don't know what you don't know and even doing a basic thing like making an offer on a property can be risky because you've never done it before. You don't know what clauses to include. You don't know how to protect your downside. And so you can actually be exposing yourself to risks without even realizing. So first step awareness, let's start to open your mind up to some other risks that might be around you that you haven't thought of. Now, commonly, it's thought that investments fall in a spectrum. And this is where I think some of the financial planners especially get things wrong because they're trying to determine where you fit on that spectrum and for lack of a better better approach it's a place to start anyway so it's thought that 
when you spend more money on something that you also have more risk. And as Robert Kiyosaki has said, when asked if investing in property is risky, that it's actually the investor that is risky, not the investment. And I definitely agree with this. So everyone's always focusing externally at that investment that's in front of them or the market that's in front of them. They're not looking inside as to what risk they represent. Now, a lot of the financial planners and commentators also tell us to diversify, to reduce risk. And look, that approach is fine if you've already grown a capital base and you've then in the income or the preservation stage. Great advice when you're trying to preserve what you've got. But if you spread all your uh, eggs in different baskets to begin with, it actually can represent far greater risk because you don't concentrate, you don't know truly what's going on in the different baskets. And that way you can miss a lot of the risk that is either with the investment, with the market, or with yourself not knowing what to know. So I would suggest that initially concentrating tips the returns and reduces the risk in your favor. And that's what you should be looking to do when you're starting out, I believe. Now, Robert Kiyosaki, I mention him a lot because I've read all of his books and and love his uh, approach to investing and some of his ways that he thinks about things. But he also said there are three sides to every coin, heads, tails, and the edge. And your ability to understand those contrasting points of view from either side of the coin and, and sitting on the edge and seeing both sides of the coin and your ability to glean what information you can will really help you to, it'll be a lot more valuable to see each side. And that's a crucial skill. So I often think about as I've uh, grown as an investor and a business owner, entrepreneur, and been on my journey, I often think about the other side of the coin and how different people see things differently, depending often upon whether they're rich or whether they're poor. And I'm not wanting to stereotype people, but those that have acquired wealth and are are otherwise rich see things differently. And so uh, rather than getting into a, you know, putting in people, people in boxes, it just helps to open up your thinking expand your comfort zone a bit and see how the rich might see things differently to the poor and think about your own viewpoint where it lands and start to, when you approach any situation, think about the different sides of the coin and how else this could be viewed, the situation in front of you could be viewed. So let's start to run through a few things that the rich and the poor view differently. Is buying a cheap property, is that safe? because it's lower priced or is that risky because you're going to get low quality tenants and potentially be in a low end area and not have capital growth or is it safer because you you get a little bit of income along the way and it's not costing you money so yeah the, the rich and the poor are going to view that one that first one very differently about buying cheap versus buying in a better location more blue or chip which is safe which is risky i'm going to leave it up to you to think about it I'm going to run through some more a bit quicker. Is buying a high-priced property safe or risky? You're putting a lot of eggs in that basket. You're spending a lot of money on that property. Boy, if you get it wrong, that could be risky. Or is it safe because you've bought into an area that has proven history of performance and you are going to attract a better quality tenant? 
you can tell which way I might think about it. <laughs> is doing a renovation safe or risky? Oh, gee, someone could get hurt. You could, you know, spend more than you get back. That could be risky or it could be safe because you're building in value to that property and you're insulating yourself if the market does turn down and, you know, you're choosing the right things that add more value than the cost of doing them. And not only that, you're increasing the appeal to tenants and you're going to get a better rental yield and better quality of tenant. So which is safe and which is risky? What about a development? Now, I've had different guests on. We don't touch on it hugely in our podcast, but it's definitely a tool that you should have in your tool belt. And depending, again, where you're on your journey and your experience level, you should look at potentially look at doing a subdivision or development and just to you know add value and not rely on the market. So is that risky or is that safe? Gee, a lot could happen. You could buy the wrong property. It could need a whole bunch of site works and council contributions might be higher than you, than you realize. It could have a lot of trees and other things that need demolition. You didn't factor all these things. Is a development risky or is it, or is it safer? Is it safer to add value and not rely on the market? Is it safer to create something that's going to rent for hire and still be in a good location? Next one. Is investing risky or is keeping your money in the bank risky? Now, with inflation starting to increase and the interest that you get from the bank being so low, many would argue that it's risky to just leave your money in the bank and not put it into real assets like property at the moment. But others would view that investing in property is a chance to lose your money and could be very risky and dealing with leverage is risky. So different sides of the coin there again is buying a property near or in the same suburb as your home is that safe or is that risky god it feels good to be able to drive past it and you know you know that area potentially better than where else you might be looking you might not have the expertise to get up on other suburbs or may not be leveraging a buyer's agent to get up on another area so it feels safer to buy in the same suburb but then is that risky? Because if that suburb doesn't perform, you've got all your, all your eggs in that one basket. And while I say concentrate, that's one of the areas that you should look to get some separation on. So what about buying in another state? Is that safe or is that risky? Well, again, you could get greater diversification. You could ride the cycles as the property clock moves around to the different states. But if you don't do it right, that could be very risky. If you get the wrong person on your team that's, you know, doesn't vet the property or doesn't know the area that you're buying into, doesn't know how to advise you correctly on value. There's a lot of things. If you buy the wrong property in another state, is that safe or is that risky? Is having tenants rent your property? Is that safe or is that risky? Many non-investors would worry and and be very uh, afraid of having tenants potentially they hear those horror stories those one and a hundred one and two hundred horror stories that tenants trashed their property and left town so is tenants renting your property is that safe or is that risky other people might see that as safe because you've got an income coming in that's not your primary wage income and you're building this passive income outside so that you've got choices. Many would view that as safe, not risky, especially if you have the right property manager on your team and you reduce that risk significantly. 
So that's what all of my team do for our clients. Now, final one is borrowing at a high loan to value ratio. Is that safe or is that risky? Well, if it enables you to get into a better property and buy into the market sooner when the market's going up, well, that could be a safe thing. But if you go and buy the wrong property at the wrong time and you're over leveraged, that could be risky. So hopefully I've shown you some two sides to the coin and enabled you to sit on the edge and see both sides of some of those things. And I just, I regularly get these ones coming up when I'm chatting to investors. And so I'm going to point them to this episode. (laughs) Now, to answer all these questions above entirely depends on who is answering. So it really is the investor that represents the risk factor, the biggest risk factor, not the market or the property. So the question's not what is risky, but who is risky? And money follows those that can handle risk. That's why the banks are prepared to lend to people when they've got a lot of these areas covered, when they also have got their overall situation and personal risks managed and in order. There's that that saying that the easiest time to get money is when you don't need it, and that's so true. So ways to alter. Here's some ways to alter your personal risk that you bring to any investment. This is a bit of a collection of, and they're they're high-level ways that you can look to decrease your personal risk. So leverage your skills. Think about what skills you've gained through life and through your job. Are you handy at renovation? Are you... Think about translating what you do for a job into your investing to decrease the risk and have a, an edge on the market in a way that you can add value. So you might be a surveyor. Well, you should definitely be looking at subdivision and development. You might negotiate for a living. Well, you should be looking at using that skill on the front end to get the very best purchases you can. You might be great at research. Use that. God, that could really pay dividends. Again, you might be excellent at diligence or money management. Collect and, and you know, gain these skills and translate them to your investing. That's the number one and first way to reduce your personal risk by leveraging your skills and continuing to gain them. Think about how your work can translate to your investing. The second one, next thing to leverage is your experience. So that can either be first-hand experience that you gain from one investment rolling into the other and potentially rolling into bigger investments that still build on the same experience that you've had. But don't forget about leveraging others' experience. And early on in my investing journey, I saw only the cost side to using another's experience. And that's the, the one side of the coin that the poor see. The other side of the coin is the gain that you can make from the other's experience and how to truly leverage that and also how it significantly reduces your risk and potential downside. So a good professional in any industry is going to do that for you. It's going to be worth far more than their cost. So yeah, just change your thinking around to see the other side there. Next way to reduce your personal risk is the area of money. So we've spoken about it a lot on the podcast before. It's going to be an ongoing theme and I'm going to keep speaking about it because I'm continuously learning too. And it's 
an area that has a massive effect on everything else. So the strength of your cash flow, obviously the stronger your cash flow, the less risk you can represent because you can buy your way out of things. If trouble strikes and you've got money, you've got time. And if you're not ever forced to do anything like sell a property when the market's down or have to accept when maintenance comes up or things happen and you can't deal with them, cash flow strength is really adds a lot to your ability to reduce risk. How do you change that? Well, you just have to work on growing your income day to day if possible, reducing your expenses. That's how you increase cash flow. Have more, more money at the end of your month than month left over. So the other one that goes hand in hand with this is even if your cash flow strength is not high, you can have a savings buffer built up that gives you protection against downsides and significantly reduces your risk as an investor. And then how do you even acquire a higher cash flow or a savings buffer that can be very dependent on your control of money? It's another area to really get automated. And we've touched on that in a previous episode too. And finally, the last part to money, which is a word I've heard thrown around in some circles lately, is becoming a steward of money. So that's really respecting it, protecting it, giving great thought to how it's used, thinking about how it's passed down in next generations. Stewardship should not be underestimated. And it's something that's lacking from those that throw money around and don't respect it. Every dollar is important and to be looked after. The next part to your reducing your personal risk is your network. And I touched on some of this above in uh, leveraging others' experience. But your network can also be used for, for finding deals, leveraging that expertise to reduce risk, which I've mentioned. And the biggest other area that I've uh, been tapping into lately, which I think I underestimated or perhaps I didn't, I certainly didn't place the importance on it early on in my journey, is changing your network is great for changing your money blueprint. So if you hang out with wealthy people that don't just value money but have a whole life view on uh, family and you know living your life and having a great lifestyle, but this elevates your thinking significantly just by being around them and what what uh, it it increases your financial thermostat. So you go from thinking that earning two hundred thousand a year or making two hundred thousand total from your investments is a lot to hanging out with people that make half a million a year to suddenly you're hanging out with others that are doing it a million a year and just getting started. And it really changes your thinking if you approach it with an open um, comfort zone instead of being jealous or envious of what they're doing. If you're curious and uh, open to learning, then they can help elevate your money blueprint and your financial thermostat. The next way, which we've touched on in many episodes, and is your mindset. And this is a great way to reduce your personal risk. And we've touched on things like how you approach failure in an episode. Again, your personal money blueprint and subconscious ways of thinking about money. I definitely include that in the mindset category. And the my uh, significant edge is continuous learning. So your mindset around that, I can't go a day without picking up a book. I listen to audio and I feel like I haven't grown and I'm going backwards without doing it. This one attribute 
keeps me moving forward, keeps me growing and learning more and giving me ideas to implement. So a massive thing to reduce your personal risk because you're constantly learning through others' experiences. And when someone can condense their whole life into a book, God, that's an amazing way to learn. And finally, look, it's a boring one to reduce personal risk, but an essential one. I just used to look at it as being a waste of money previously, and that's personal insurances. If you've got investments, you've got a family especially, you definitely need to have and look at your life insurance, your TPD, and which is total and permanent disability, and potentially your income insurance. So definitely check them out to protect your downside because the only time um, that we really want insurance is when we need it and it's too late to buy it then. So I'm very, I've leveled up my insurances in every possible area just to ensure that I'm not exposed and my family isn't. So we've just gone through some of the ways to reduce your individual risk as an investor. And you can use these personal attributes and resources to ultimately reduce the risk to invest safer and be less risky overall. Now, in each of the following two other areas, I thought I would cover some of the, the big fears that people often have. And just like the different sides of the coin, depending on how you see and manage these risks or fears will determine if they hold you back. So these other two areas, so we've just covered the personal risk you bring to an investment. The other two is the seems to be the ones that most people focus on, and that's the market risk and the specific investment risk. So market risk, what are some of the big fears that people mention to me and I see in forums? What if there's no capital growth in the future? That is a potential risk. So it helps if you understand the stage of the cycles, you have an overall plan, you know how much you need growth straight away, how important that is to your plan, you're aware of the economic activity for the state and for the nation, and you buy in deep markets where there's always lots of transactions, where there's always going to be buyers, and you look to invest for the long term, the minimum of 10 years, then doing all these things is going to help you see things from the other side of the coin, from the safer side of the coin. Next one for market risk. What if interest rates go up? Now, let me just state that we're at historically low interest rates. What do you think is going to happen to interest rates? They're definitely going to go up. It's just a question of when. So look, I would, to protect this downside risk of the market, I would factor in a 6% interest rate, make sure that you can still handle it. The banks are already factoring in a 5.5% or a 5 to 5.5% rate based on um, a 3% buffer on whatever interest rate you're paying and keep a cash buffer and look at some of those personal factors I mentioned above, like better control of money to ensure that you are ready for this to come. Rents are still going up in a lot of areas, so there is going to be some further buffering to interest rates and it's a cycle. So understand that it comes around just like growth does and it's a healthy and expected part of what's ahead. The next market risk is what if they stop allowing negative gearing or put a cap on it? So I would suggest that you should know your worst case scenario, Look, do your numbers on if you're not able to get any kind of tax deduction. And I'd never be investing for tax deductions as the primary reason to begin with. So if the investment itself doesn't stack up, 
a specific investment, then don't be investing for a tax deduction only because you still need that investment underneath to perform. And if it doesn't and your tax deductions are taken away, you, you potentially will be forced to sell that property. And you don't want to be doing it when uh, the market's down, the stage is down, or when interest rates have gone up by far too much. So yeah, think about that as the worst case scenario. And look, there's no proposed changes on the radar that I can see, but there has obviously been murmurs from Labor. They've said that they're, they're not going to change negative gearing going into the election, but I suspect someone at some point is going to milk this cash cow and Put a cap on negative gearing. I don't think the abolishment would ever make it through. It's going to be too unpopular. Let me let's not get too distracted on that one. <laughs> let's go into the next major area for risk, which is specific investment risk. So so far we've covered the personal risks to you, the market risk, some of the big fears people have. Now let's cover some of the big fears with the specific investment. So what if I buy a lemon? Well. That's incredibly possible if you don't know what you're doing. So I would look at suburb selection and, and use a, a basis of proven history. I'd look at how the suburb's performing in the shorter term as well. Make sure that days on market and stuff's trending the right way. Make sure that it's a, as quality area as you can afford. Then look at using my criteria for performance to ensure that you're not buying any major areas that are no-goes that are going to make it really hard to sell when the market isn't as good as now. Look to use a buyer's agent if you don't know what you're doing and or don't have the time. And I look to use a buyer's agent just as a cross-check and to leverage their skills as well because it's just that important to make the right purchase. And especially look to do thorough due diligence beforehand to ensure no hidden surprises and include contract clauses enabling you to do that during the settlement period. Next big fear of people, what happens, will I find a quality tenant? What happens if I get a bad one? So desirability of the property will greatly either increase your chances of a great tenant or increase your chances of an ordinary or bad tenant. It's really hard to find great tenants for shit properties. So desirability of the property is a great starting point to looking at who you're likely to attract. The price point's another big one that comes in. So inevitably in the lower end areas, we're going to get more trouble with tenants not being able to pay their rent. And when they can't pay their rent or lose their job, other things can go sideways. It can be a difficult process to get them out. That's when we need our insurances. You need a property manager that's on the ball. And ideally, you need to be investing in the best price point that you can afford. Next one to finding that quality tenants, getting your condition and your presentation right for your property. So yeah, if your property is not maintained, not presented well, you're going to attract a bad tenant or it's going to be much higher chances of doing that. And then your property manager's screening processes are essential. You might think all property managers are the same. They're definitely not. Their standards and their level of screening varies hugely. And where we've got a very intensive screening process and a, a minimum criteria for which we will guarantee the tenants going in. So we guarantee quality tenants. And if we ever have to evict them, we would cover the replacement cost of the, them for you. And we're not prepared to guarantee a tenant if unless they meet very stringent criteria. So that should be a big warning sign if we're not prepared to guarantee a tenant, still give the owner the option of putting them in. But ultimately, those are the tenants that often uh, we have trouble with, the ones we aren't prepared to guarantee. 
So what if the tenant damages my property? That's another big fear. Well, landlord insurance, then also circling back into that first point, if we can have a desirable property, if we can attract a quality tenant, then there's far less chance of them ever damaging your property or doing something malicious. And then landlord insurance, regular inspections that are detailed, all of this can greatly reduce your risk. Now, what happens if I have a period of long vacancy? Not as uh, big a risk in today's market because um, properties are renting really quickly, tenants are in large supply. But go back nine, 12 months ago, it was a very different market and probably more 12 to, to 14 months ago now. So what if I have a period of long vacancy? Well, if your property manager is an expert at leasing and they you know, do quality photos, they've main, helped you maintain the property and keep it well presented, they you know, show properties after hours and on weekends, they've got a booking system that makes it easy for tenants and reminds them to come, all these things go into, you know, if they're doing enough viewings per week, they're keeping on top of are you getting the exposure you need, what are your views, view counts, what's your feedback been from every tenant that's come through, looking to adjust quickly to find where that market is. We pay for ourselves and pay for our property management very regularly just by leasing properties. Even in this market, we're leasing properties faster than, than the majority of property managers and that is more money in our owner's pocket, more money in our pocket too because we collect um, a percentage of the rent. It's better for everyone and we pay for ourselves. So the other way to prepare for the downside of vacancy is to have that buffer again. So if you ever have to draw on it, it's not a big stress and it's there. What if the house burns down or is badly damaged by a storm? Well, that's why we have building insurance and you make sure that it's for an adequate replacement value. You keep on top of your insurances and or get your property manager to renew them and pay them. Will I have headaches around maintenance from this investment? Well, I would be assessing the age and the condition of the property up front with a building inspection, ensuring that you have clauses enabling you to terminate if you're not satisfied. And I would be keeping the asset maintained along the way and not letting it build up to be a massive cash outlay in one go. And if it's maintained, it's only going to feed back around to attracting that quality tenant, keeping them longer in the property and uh, not having a big outlay in one go. So look, I've run through today a lot. We've covered what really makes something risky or safe, the two sides of the coin that not everyone can see. And the majority of people don't think about themselves and the risk that they represent or bring to the market and to the specific investment. And that's where you should be focusing because that how we approach each of these can greatly reduce our risk and make things a lot safer to invest. So hopefully I've opened up your awareness to some of these things today. And if you have been enjoying our episodes and you're listening on iTunes, be sure to give us a five-star rating really helps us be found and and or on youtube post a comment love to hear from people what they're getting out of these episodes thanks for joining me today and catch you on the next one mm-hmm.